everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, good way to start. Uh, Hello, I'm millennials, Derek who are the only ones John who know. Thrashen. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, no, I mean. Some might. Some might. Backstreet Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about well, you. Sorry. Well, uh, we're excited for this. We're excited for this case. This is our first case post-Halloween, so That's it's right. going to be very fun. Um, and I have a little Halloween story I want to share from Jump. But oh. John, I, I, you know, our case is is very complicated today, and I wanted to get into it rather quickly. I just wanted to know, are you drinking today? Uh, uh, tell tell oh, the listeners what I'm oh. doing. Oh. Um, oh. You are being super creepy, like the type of face that if John <laughs> was forty years older and like really creepy, and yes. the smile he would be making, you'd be like, "Oh, that's a hundred percent a groomer. It's a hundred percent someone that <laughs> how dare you is just it's one hundred take advantage of little kids. Listen, it's one hundred percent smiling. It's one hundred percent." Apple pie Baileys tonight, baby. Did you have to get that in a back alleyway? I did. You know what's funny? I actually went trick-or-treating with my friend Brianne, who provided me with said back alley uh, Baileys. And I couldn't remember. I was like, I told her, I was like, I can't remember what episode it was, but I told everybody on the show that you're my dealer. And I was like, I hope that you're okay with that. So I'm still finishing this bottle a year later. I don't even know. Does it expire? Oh, my God. Does it? (gasps) <gasps> Probably. I think it does. Remember we were wondering when I well, first opened it? Well, after it opens, it must. Yeah, but like it must. I don't know. There's a number that does says it have one, on the bottom? one 2022. Is this sickening? That's an expiration date. But does that mean it's like not available to be drank? Yeah. No, I mean, is it available to be drank? <laughs> it's available to be drank, but... Are you? Is your stomach going to be available for a drink? Well, that's later? a whole other Unconfident. thing. Unconfident. Okay. Unconfident. Listen, I'm willing to risk it for the better of the show. That's for the all biscuit. I okay. For the biscuit. Yeah. Okay. Darren, what about you? Are you drinking anything right now? Oh, you've have I'm been. I'm having a Narragansett yeah. lager, oh, my friends. Look at a you. good old Narragansett, actually, because Brian, who my best friend, mm-hmm. I was like, "Do you want any Narragansetts?" And he was like, "It's Narragansett," and oh, I was like, here "Oh." We go. Hard S, I go, you know what I do that with a lot is the Nevada, Nevada thing. And he was like, don't fuck that up. (laughs) So here I am already fucking shit up. It's the N-words for me, Narragansett. 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 That's a tough one. Not Narragansett, but Narragansett. Narragansett. Well. Lager. Made on honor, sold on merit, not an ad. Oh, one of those... uh boastful type of brands, you might say. It goes well with my Halloween candy. That's great. So let me ask you this. we If you want to hear our Halloween, what happened in our Halloweens, which were pretty hilarious, you're going to want to listen to NMR, which is available now. Um, Darren, did you get any, like, gummy candies for Halloween? Wink, well, wink. Well, I hoard the Reese's, as we yeah. know. I, I hoard the Reese's. Yeah. But... Uh, I actually, I partied this time on the Lumi gummies a little <laughs> you bit. You did? So I went out. I did. Microdosing? I had a very long day um, because in the morning after, before my Halloween party, I had to wake up really early. I was on these NBC news segments. And so, like, mm. I kind of needed something to kind of keep me going yeah. all day but make me feel calm, not anxious. Yeah. I knew I really wanted to go out with my friends and not go home early. So those Lumi microdose gummies Love actually it. came in 
super handy, super delicious. I actually brought some with me throughout the day. So that way, after a few hours, if I was feeling like I needed it, I'd pop one or two. And again, I'm I'm more of like a, a, a higher THC user than I think you would, John. Yeah. Like I'm sure you would only pop one, but I, yeah. I kind of like to. It gives this like subtle effect. So it was an amazing Halloween on my gummies. And I super enjoyed it. Well, our Thanks, sh- Lumi. That's wonderful. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good, even on Halloween, as Darren just especially recently told you. <laughs> yeah, especially. On Halloween. Yeah. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code SHAKEN to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com, code SHAKEN. Darren, let's get right into today's episode. I will say Megan warned us that this one's kind of yeah. Tricky, so let's go right into it. From a glance, Jack Barron had it all. A seemingly happy marriage, two healthy children, and a beautiful home in sunny Sacramento, California. All of this began to change on June 7th, 1992, when his wife, 34-year-old Irene Barron, mysteriously passed away in her sleep. Over the next two years, members of the Barron family would begin dropping one by one, each meeting a similar fate. Irene, as well as their two children, Jeremy and Ashley, would each be found dead in their beds only months apart from each other. Okay, something's going on. Each death has been met with overwhelming community outreach and support in forms of money, gifts, and attention. You know, communities really come together, especially, you know, in a a time of death, especially something as tragic as this. Mm -hmm. Now, Jack, the grieving husband and father, plants a tree in memoriam to each family member. Once he has lost all of his family members, Jack moves in with his mother, 52-year-old Roberta Barron. Mm. When Roberta also passed away suddenly in her bed, investigators finally started to look closer at the deaths and began to notice some jarring similarities. So his wife and two children each passed away on Sunday the 7th. All All of them died mysteriously as they slept without any obvious explanation. All of them had hemorrhaging in the eyes, which is... Someone, as you know, my biggest fear is to go blind, so this is just actually killing me. But this is actually a common (laughs) sign of asphyxiation. You're suffocating. Right. Was Jack Barron just an unlucky man stuck in a whirlwind of tragic coincidences, or was there a much more sinister reason for these tragic deaths? Did he have anything to do with it, or was he being set up? What's going on here? Yeah, let's go back a little bit to sort of his childhood. He was born in Orange County, California in 1962, the only child of Elmore and uh, Roberta Barron, excuse me. Elmore was a worker on the railway and spent quite a bit of time away from home, as many people did in those times, by the way. Elmer was a rather distant father and had reportedly expressed uncertainty as to whether or not Jack was actually his biological child. Interesting. So Jack's mother was the opposite. She was extremely warm and doting of her son, um, really seemed to love him and, and supported him. When Jack was 13 years old, his parents divorced when Elmore abandoned the family to be with another woman, leaving Roberta and Jack to fend for themselves. Um, by the way, I'm already getting early signs of like childhood trauma that led to some problems. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, abandonment issues about. Yeah, so exactly. See how this plays out. Yeah, exactly. Um, once she became a single mom, Roberta took a job at the local grocery store and did everything in her power to provide for Jack and to make sure he was happy and well cared for. The two were, and by the way, this is great because at least in the face of this tragic abandonment, 
you know, she's still doing what she can as a single mom to provide for her for her child. That's not easy. Um, nope. You know, I come from a my mom was a single mother of three for most of my childhood. So, like, I have a certain sympathy for moms like this. Um, the two were very close and it appeared that Jack truly enjoyed being the center of her attention and affection in 1986. Of course, the year I was born, a new woman took the spotlight in Jack's heart when he met Irene Paget or Paget. We're going to go. Or it could be Paget. Paget. Let's say Paget. Okay. Even though it's hard to say. It's like, it, there's a I cacophony say to it. I wouldn't because there's no two G's. Okay. I would say Paget. Paget. All right, we should have done this research. This is on us, so sorry about that. All right, we'll say Pat. Let's pay Paget. Paget sounds right. Paget. Um, I well, Irene is her name. Was tall, blonde, and had striking blue eyes. The two fell in love, and in less than two years, they were married and expecting their first child. And shortly after the birth of their son Jeremy in 1989, the Baron family purchased a home and moved to Sacramento. That's where we started the show a little bit. Now we're catching up here. Jack began working at a local grocery store as an overnight shelf stalker, while stalker, I should say, being the person who stocks the shelves, not a person who not peeps a in the stalker. night. Mm-hmm. Just to yes. be clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not a peeper. Not a peeper. While Irene ran a daycare service out of their home. This job allowed Irene to stay home with Jeremy while still being able to work and contribute financially. All seems to be going pretty well at this point, but neither of them were able, uh, rather, neither of them were making a lot of money, but still Jack was known to invest heavily into his hobby of uh, collecting and building model trains. So, all right, very run-of-the-mill kind of situation thus far. Well, the year after their son was born, Irene gave birth to their second child, Ashley. It was around this time that Irene began noticing just how controlling and specific Jack was, particularly about cleanliness. He refused to allow his children to play outside as he was always worried about them getting dirty and making a mess. Hmm. He was incredibly critical of the way Irene cleaned and would even go as far to follow her while she vacuumed to wipe away the marks left behind on the carpet. Already, I can't stand this. Uh, this it feels is like too... some sort of abuse. Well, and this also, is... it like not to go too psycho analytical about it but like controlling yeah and it's like i feel like this is connected to childhood trauma and abandonment and and abuse like there's something going on here i don't want to say i know what it is but i feel like what in my life experience i can connect that dot in a way The two argued tirelessly as Jack felt Irene did not keep the house up to his impossibly high standards. On more than one occasion, friends and neighbors recalled Jack exploding in fits of anger, leaving his wife visibly shaken. Mm. It became evident to Irene that something was wrong in her marriage. She began expressing some deeply rooted concern that Jack may have been sneaking around with another woman and being Mm. unfaithful. She'd go on to tell a family member that he had even threatened to divorce her. A note written at this time would later be found by investigators that reads, quote, I'm really sorry you're unhappy right now. I have a hard time believing the only reason for this is my inability to keep the house exactly Mm. the way you like it. Very smart, Irene. Mm -hmm. It really upsets me when I hear you talk about divorce. Things have been so good for us for so long. You don't just wake up one day and suddenly decide something like that. Oh, my love, Irene. Well, Jack later confided in a friend that this threat was an attempt to scare Irene and that he would do away with her before he'd ever go through with a divorce. Oh, dear. So poor Irene is just trying to sort of, you know, balance out the family dynamic a little bit. Because, listen, every family has ups and downs. Every marriage has ups and downs. And I think she's maybe looking at it like, 
Okay, maybe you're overreacting a touch, you know? I'm kind of wondering what this friend that Jack told about. Like, because if yeah. someone genuinely cared, came up to me and was like, oh, I'd kill them before I divorce them, like, in any sort of serious way, I think that would be cause for concern for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, on the morning of June 7th, 1992, the Baron's neighbor arrived at their home to drop off her child at Irene's daycare service before work. She knocked on the door a few times but received no answer. Worried about making it to work on time, she decided to drop off her child with a family member instead. However, she spent the day worried by the idea that Irene did not answer the door. It wasn't like her to close for the day without letting her clients know. You know, she, this is this is pretty typical. Good this is the practice. beginning of a of a yeah. work day, you know? Yeah. Well, the neighbor stayed at work for a while, but her concern got the better of her, and she decided to return to the Baron's home. After arriving at the house for a second time, she was able to spot young Jeremy through the window. The neighbor got his attention and asked where his mother was. Jeremy told her that his mom was still in bed and he wasn't able to wake her up, which is really horrifying. The neighbor helped Jeremy unlock the door from inside to let her in. When the neighbor entered the master bedroom, she found Irene unresponsive on her back with a pillow over her face. She, yeah, she immediately called 911 and was instructed to give Irene CPR, but discovered that Irene was rigid and cold to the touch. She had clearly been dead for several hours. Rigor mortis. Yeah, I can't imagine, like, imagine the 911 dispatcher being like, try to do CPR, and then you go to, like, touch the body, and it's dead, and oh, that's just yeah. traumatizing in and of itself. Investigators arrived at the scene and noted that while Irene was in her pajamas, she still had makeup on, and there were black smudges on the pillowcase found over her face, which, of course, indicates she had at the very least put makeup on at some point before all of this. She might have had an Amy Wine, Winehouse drunken Rainbow Skittles night, That could have know? been like my Halloween in 2005. Yeah. My God, that was no. Exactly. 2008. Long time ago. Anyway, friends of Irene later insisted that she would never go to sleep without washing her face. And as this was sort of part of her nightly routine. I have to give a I relate to this. Me too. I was going to say. It happens maybe once a year that I go to bed. I have to be incapacitated. I have to be so tired. I cannot walk two feet to yeah. my shower. Exactly. And I want to give a shout out to my favorite uh, skincare products, La Roche-Posay. You might have heard of them. They're oh. sold at Target's and CVS. Check them out. By the way, that's not an okay. ad. I just really like them. That's no, just you. <laughs> Well, after his shift at the grocery store, Jack returned to find his home swarming with police officers who informed him of his wife's passing. Upon hearing the news, Jack ran across the street to another neighbor's house. He called Irene's parents and told them to come to the house as soon as possible. I guess maybe because he wasn't allowed in his own home, maybe because it's like a crime scene that he couldn't call right. from his own home or something. I don't Seems know unless like that's it. a sign for something. But Irene's mother, Norma, asked desperately, why? To which Jack replied, Irene's dead before hanging mm. up. All right, well, that's a little blunt. And Jack returned home to give the police a statement. He informed them that he left for work around 11 p.m. the night before, and that all evening his wife had been complaining of a terrible headache. He added that he noticed her speech sounded slurred and disorganized. However, during the autopsy, the coroner ruled the time of death was approximately 7.30 p.m. So for him leaving work at 11, mm, I don't know. This isn't adding so obviously, up. It's obviously raised some suspicion, but aside from the timeline not matching Jack's story... 
there was actually no reason to suspect foul play. Immediately following his wife's death, Jack planted a tree on the property in her memory, and the community rallied behind Jack to support him and his children. Neighbors brought over home-cooked meals, friends offered her help with child care, and Irene's family even began sending monthly checks to help support the children. Along with the contributions from friends and family, Jack also received Social Security checks on behalf of Jeremy and Ashley, as well as a life insurance payout of approximately fifteen thousand dollars, mm. which isn't that much. My my real questions over here are a little bit like: if I was a neighbor, <laughs> I feel like I would be like, "Why do people keep dying over here?" Or like, I, I you know, either foul play or something's going on in the house, like lead poisoning or some sort of carbon monoxide thing. They're all dying from the same thing, but. Given the fact that Jack's timeline was already off, how is that not yeah. a little sussy to police, like no foul play? I mean, that seems that's kind of a huge difference. If he's saying he left at eleven and his wife passed away three and a half hours before, well, like and the makeup on how the pillow and the makeup on the pillowcase, and it also makes you wonder, does the public know about that or is that an information that only the investigators know? It yeah. just, why would that not say, like, <clears throat> yeah. least, maybe not foul play, but, like, why would, how I mean, else could it be? Yeah, that's, like, she's I think just, it like, is, yeah. a pillow, like, she suffocated herself? That's impossible. No. You can't do that. Right. So I don't get it. I don't really get it. Yeah, and by the way, a lot of these things vary per, basically, police jurisdiction. So, like, it's just weird. Every police department, I think, kind of handles this stuff differently. Well, within months of losing his wife, Jack began dating another grocery store employee named Starla Hayes and invited cool yeah, and invited her and her two children to actually move in. Starla agreed, but the relationship turned out to be very short-lived. According to Starla, Jack had a terrible temper and would often scream at the children if they behaved rambunctiously or got too loud. You know, similar sentiment to Irene's note, I think, is what we could look at here. Starla decided to end the relationship after she overheard a disturbing comment Jack made to Jeremy. As the toddler was crying and throwing a fit, Jack threatened, if you don't shut up, I'll send you where mommy is, end quote. Um, this is according to Starla. Um, she removed herself and her children from the home as soon as possible. On Sunday, February 7th, 1993, less than a week after Starla moved out, Jack hired a babysitter to watch his children she arrived at the home at, at the agreed-upon time, but nobody answered the door. Again, people knocking at this door, nobody answering. It's very bizarre. Yeah. After waiting outside for a while, she returned home, only to receive a call from Jack minutes later, telling her to come back to the house so he could nap before going to work. I guess, obviously, to babysit the kids. So when she arrived, she checked on the children, both of whom were sleeping peacefully in their beds, Jack went to lay down while the babysitter uh, stayed awake in case the children needed her. Several hours later, baby Ashley woke up. The babysitter tended to her and got her settled back into bed before going to check on four-year-old Jeremy. She found the little boy Jeremy in the same position as before, which struck her as a little odd. A lot of time had gone past, obviously. She attempted to wake him up, but Jeremy was cold and unresponsive. Oh. The babysitter ran down the hall to wake up Jack before calling 911. The 911 operator instructed them to also begin giving Jeremy CPR, but Jack refused to do so. Don't bother, he said. It's too late anyways. Jesus. So he knows something, at least. Jack informed authorities that Jeremy had been, also, had been suffering from a cold, and he had been given some cough syrup before bed, implying that the medicine may have caused his untimely death, which you... But then why not try and revive? Like, why not try and save your fucking son? 
And, and to like do that and then go to bed, like I, I don't know. That's also there's a lot right. of sussy details happening in this case for sure. Well, following Jeremy's passing, the home was thoroughly inspected. All medicine was tested, and the family even underwent genetic testing in search of any possible reason for the loss of both Irene and Jeremy at this time. Another memorial tree was planted, and another life insurance policy was collected. Mm. At his son's funeral, Jack acted very distraught, despite not shedding a single tear. Some family members took note of a disturbing comment he made during Jeremy's eulogy, stating that his son had died of a broken heart and was better off with mommy. Once again, the community supported Jack with overwhelming sympathy, gifts, attention. Mm. It was known among his friends that Jack was a huge fan of the country singer Winona Judd. Oh, okay. Are you a fan of Winona? I will say my mom is a huge Winona Judd fan, and I can't say that I am. I know some of the music, and I could probably hum and sing along to it, but I wouldn't say I would call myself one, no. (laughs) A close friend of Jack coincidentally was the president of the Singers Fan Club and arranged for Jack and Ashley to attend one of her concerts for a meet and greet. Winona Judge graciously welcomed Jack and Ashley and expressed her deepest sympathy of their losses. Winona gifted wow. the two another pair of concert tickets and even made a personal phone call to Jack later on to check in on him. Wow. I kind of love when these cases intersect with famous people because <laughs> they know. meet so many people that you're like, of course they're going to come into contact with someone that's sussy. Right. Now, following the <laughs> concerts, Jack decided to make some significant significant decor changes to his home he carefully removed every picture in the home that included irene and in its place put photos taken with winona judd at the concerts he and ashley attended this is weird his obsession with the singer obsession with the singer only grew from there and even mentioned to several friends that the two would become romantically involved this claim was quickly dismissed those to the, by those close to him as it was not out of character for Jack to make outlandish claims to put himself at the center of attention. But you know what? Like, we all have those friends who exaggerate. Like, we all have those friends who are like the storytellers where you're like, you know what? Are those who friends? hasn't exaggerated? Right. Who hasn't exaggerated a story here and there? But if I had a friend that exaggerated to the point of saying that they were romantically involved with a famous person, I'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, yeah. what's going on? If you meant it legitimately, I'd be like, what? Yeah, and I feel like I know people that do this. So, yeah, it's very sus. Today's episode is just very sus, every every moment. Well, around (laughs) this time, Ashley underwent numerous medical tests, including a sleep study. And during the study, doctors found that she suffered from sleep apnea, a sleep disorder that makes you temporarily stop breathing while unconscious, and it makes people snore, honestly. Mm Mm-hmm. The doctor proposed that this potentially could be a genetic link between the deaths in the family and strongly recommended that the toddler wear a heart monitor so her medical team could keep a better eye on her condition. Jack claimed that as a single father, this idea sounded too time-consuming for a father who lost his wife and his son. Oh, my. Too time-consuming to potentially be something that could save his daughter. Too (laughs) time-consuming. Too right, time-consuming. Right. He was uninterested in bringing his daughter to so many follow-up appointments and refused the medical advisement because it's oh. too con- time-consuming. Right, too time-consuming time to worry about health. Listen, what do you? What time uh, do you have? Of your daughter. Yeah, of your daughter. What time do you have if not, you know, this? So, yeah, lots of sussy details. Um, Jack hired a new babysitter to watch Ashley um, when he went to work. This time the babysitter was a trained nurse, CPR certified and more experienced than her predecessor. 
which I think That's is a, a good sign. Yeah, that is a good indication that like, okay, maybe there is just simply a genetic link here. But would this end up on our tel- on our podcast show? No, I don't think it would if it was just that simple. Mm. Um, on Sunday, August 7th, 1994, the new babysitter arrived at the home to find four-year-old Ashley asleep in her bed. Jack fixed uh, a pitcher of iced tea and offered a glass to the babysitter. She noted that the tea tasted especially strong, but she didn't really think too much of it. Jack warned her not to fall asleep while he was at work, but despite her best efforts, she quickly dozed off. At about 4 a.m., she jolted awake and frantically went to check on Ashley. She found the little girl in a different position than before, lifeless and cold to the touch. A third tree was planted in memory of baby Ashley, and Jack received a third insurance payout. Three three trees. I just wonder yeah. what, like, trigger... Like, you'd think something in the insurance company would maybe trigger something. I mean, obviously, I if you're that old, too. if you're 90, sure. and, you know, and your wife passes away at 98, right. I don't think anyone's going to be like, gee, let's look into it. Right. But, like, your wife, your son, your daughter, your new, and yeah. all in the matter of, of a few moments, I would think that everyone would be well, suspect. Well, family and friends were becoming very sus, Darren, in the sense of being suspicious. Because they began to notice a steady decrease in Jack's display of emotion with each death. Which, I don't know. I mean, listen, if you're going through these kinds of traumas, like, everyone deals with this stuff differently when it's authentic. You know what I mean? So who, I don't, I've learned at least on our show, our shows, I should say, that I don't want to judge people's grieving processes. I don't either, but I would think there would be, especially if it's your wife and two children, yeah, there true. would be a reasonable expectation, especially with the kids. Yeah, good point. Especially if you're innocent of some sort of like, I mean, what human wouldn't, to their kids right. especially. like No, right. I, and again, we've talked about that so many times, but like, I'm just like, there is a reasonable set of reactions that I think that we <laughs> yeah. can expect from like a normal a cognitive alive human neurotypical person <laughs> well a neurotypical person yeah. you know yeah, like yeah. but it, it's a little odd i completely agree well at ashley's funeral they noted that he seemed almost happy darren laughing joking and boasting about the beautiful flower arrangement sent by his girlfriend winona judd judd excuse me um all wearing a t-shirt that said that read um Wise guy, as in W Y Winona's guy, which wow, what does Winona? I wonder if she knows about this. I think we'll find out some details. But loved ones found it disturbing, and even at the funeral of his youngest daughter, Jack made all things all about him. His behavior was becoming increasingly sus, and in response to the growing pressure, Jack decided to sell the family home and move in with his mother. At this point, right? Because at this point, all three of your family members are gone. Though, yeah. What do you need a house for, right? And what to, I'm going to move in with mom. Let's see how that goes. Well, yeah. at this point, Jack's mother, right. Roberta, yeah, Roberta was one of the only people who still believed her son had nothing to do with the deaths of his you family. Roberta? Roberta? I said Roberta. Roberta? I, it's probably Roberta. Yeah. You know I why I'm like saying Roberta? Say because there's a tennis player named Roberta Vinci. And mm. I always say her name like that. So maybe it's Roberta, guys. It's it's. I think it's just plain old Roberta, but I like the way Roberta's you say it. Roberta's probably right. Sorry. Yeah. yeah I'm just I like obsessed. the way you say it. I'm obsessed with tennis. Well, Roberta's boyfriend also lived in the house mm-hmm. and did not get along well with Jack. The boyfriend described Jack, at, Jack as extremely rude and unruly. 
That was the second title to this podcast, Extremely Rude and Unruly. Yeah. <laughs> we got vetoed, but it was yeah, close, yeah. John. I mean, listen, that would still maybe in some ways, you know, apply to our to the two of us. Good. Yeah. Well, after three life insurance payouts, Jack had accrued a significant sum of money. Despite his newfound wealth, he never once offered his mother any financial help with bills or household expenses, but instead continued investing in his model trains. Loser. And this finally became unacceptable <laughs> to Roberta, who made a plan with her boyfriend to finally confront her son and ask him to move out. Listen, but can I just favorite, jump in really yeah. quickly? I don't mean to interrupt yes. you. But, but when... Yeah, here's the other thing. Regardless of if your family, I mean, okay, your family is dead. You know, the mother thinks he had nothing to do with it. Maybe she's being sympathetic. But, like, even still, it's never really a good thing for adult people to live with their families like this, their moms Get all these life insurance fans and not even help. Help out anybody else? You Come just on. sold a house. You Come just, on. yeah, exactly. You just sold the house. You got all these life insurance payouts. Get, everyone needs boundaries is all I'm saying. I'm not saying in every case. There are probably many people listening that it's it works. But, you know, he just doesn't seem like the type of person that's going to get along well with mom at home in his, in his age. You know what I'm saying? Well, on the morning of February 25th, 1995, Jack left for work in the early hours. At around 2 p.m., first responders received a 911 call from Jack stating that when he arrived home from work, he found his mother was unresponsive and she passed away in her bed. Investigators arrived at Roberta's home and upon inspecting her body, discovered several defensive wounds indicating Roberta had been involved in a struggle. Mm. You know, you'd think that if Jack was guilty, like he'd be smarter about not killing them all in the exact same way, (laughs) like within months of each other. But maybe that's just me. Well, also, he's However, getting away with it, though. So maybe he thinks it's working as far as we know, well, we potentially. Go. Yeah, let's find because out. Unlike the deaths of Irene, Jeremy and Ashley, the coroner was able to positively identify the cause of mm. death, which was asphyxiation by smothering. And as the story, as, I wonder what's different here than maybe Irene, because we saw yeah. the pillow on Irene, I assume, you know, the, the bloody eyes. Yeah. As authorities dug deeper, a pattern between the deaths became apparent. Each Barron family member died under extremely similar circumstances, mm-hmm. only months apart from one another, and at the center of them was Jack. Gee, hmm. what, do I have to be in Mensa to figure this out? Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? The realization resulted in all of the autopsies being re-examined with fresh eyes and Which compared is, to one another. I was thinking this Gee. myself. Like, why didn't they do this to begin with? Considering it all happened in, like, the same fucking house, the right, police were right. able to compile enough evidence to finally yeah. make a case against Jack. And on uh, July 17th, 1995, Jack was arrested and charged with four counts of first-degree murder. Jack pled not guilty to all four counts, and his trial began in February of 2000. One of the most notable witnesses from the trial was a doctor who suggested that Jack had Munchausen by proxy, which we all associate typically with the Gypsy Rose case, which is a mental disorder in which someone will induce or exaggerate medical issues in another person as a way to garner attention and sympathy, sometimes resulting in their victim's death. Um, The diagnosis made Jack Barron the first documented male with Munchausen by proxy as the disorder um, most commonly presents itself in women. In March, on March 18th, 2000, the jury found Jack guilty on three counts of first-degree murder, that of his wife, mother, and son, but acquitted, actually, on Ashley's murder charge, which is interesting. Um, no more details, really, on that one, but still interesting. Maybe they couldn't prove it the same way they could the other ones. The court sentenced him to three consecutive life sentences with no possibility of parole. 
Jack's final words to the judge were, quote, I have committed no crime, end quote. Jack currently resides in the California Substance Abuse Treatment Facility and to this day refuses to take any accountability for the deaths of his wife, children, and mother. Listen, when you're the common denominator, because... you know, it's it's pretty obvious. Yeah, but I wonder if you have Munchausen by proxy, like, that is a mental illness, so how much of that, not saying he shouldn't be punished, but, like, maybe yeah. in a mental facility, not in a prison? I mean, I know he's in a substance abuse treatment, but yeah. is that the same thing? Is that going to help people with... Munchausen, yeah, yeah, seemed a little weird. Let us know what you guys think. Yeah. Uh, Instagram at Jay Thrasher at Carpe Darren, of course, in our Facebook Shaken and Disturbed podcast fans. Just very odd. It seems like this should have been caught quicker. Something should have been sort of had by that. But then also the sentencing. If he had Munchausen by proxy, I yeah, I, I, it's confusing. If you can prove that they have that, then that also seems kind of important. Yeah, and we didn't get, you know, we don't have much detail about, around the actual investigation. I mean, I guess because these people just, the autopsies were X, Y, Z, they didn't really look into what actually could be the cause early enough, which is, I don't know, I'm, I hear, we've done so many shows, I feel like, Darren, where we're like, you know, oh, they re they exhumed the bodies, they redid the autopsies, and I'm like, you guys should be looking for this stuff at the top. Like, we shouldn't have to exhume bodies Right. 30 years later to find these details out. But Well, Jesus, I mean, how many people had to fucking die? Like, right. Yeah, it's very yeah, strange. Just, yeah. Anyway, let's give, let's move on to listener shout-outs as we wrap up this week's episode. I wanted to give a shout-out to everybody in our Facebook group who are sharing their Halloween costume pictures. Yeah. Shanna, Maggie, Tabitha, Caitlin, who did a really interesting one on our Patreon live stream. Melissa's daughter went as a serial killer... Um, who was I love that. And that was, was like, really cute. Great cereals. Yeah. Great cereals. Covered in cereal boxes and blood, of course. Stephanie was Fat Thor from Avengers Endgame. My husband. Your husband, Fat yep. Thor, which if that's, I don't know if that's the appropriate term. Maybe he's just, um, you know, stressed out and, and eats a lot of thick snacks, Thor. Thor. Big, yeah, Thick Thor. Yeah, I like that. Thick, thick Thor. Thick Thor. Thor. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Thank you guys well, for listen. sharing those. We love looking at all of them. Yeah, they were so great. A listener Julie was in Cedar Key just the other day while listening to last <laughs> week's episode, which put place there, saying, I was in Cedar Key this past Monday. It's throwback in the 70s kind of place. I haven't listened to the whole app, but I saw the description that said Island Hotel. And the only place I've heard of with that name is Cedar Key. I thought, no way. Can you I mean, imagine? Hey, we, got listeners all, we got listeners all over the place. Listen to that episode for some creepy-tastic shit yeah. that happened at the Island Barn Resort or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. I mean, could you imagine waking up in Cedar Key and, like, looking at your phone and you have an update from our show that's, like, the haunting of the Island Hotel in Cedar Key? I would have freaked out like, if I were. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine with these people? Well, Julie, we hope you made it out safe and didn't see any ghosts. Um, speaking of which, we recently, speaking of ghosts, our limited edition yeah. Halloween design is now a ghost on our merch store, but our Thanksgiving design, which is also a limited edition, which says TBH, the only thing I'm thankful for are my true crime shows is available now. We're keeping that one up until the end of December, or I'm sorry, December 1st. Um, so go and get that and enjoy other types of merch. You can put it as a sticker. You can put it as a pillow. You can put it as a notebook. Do whatever you want. That's the joy of Tea Public. Notice or... you said pillow from this um, episode. Oh, John. shoot. I and our super fan, 
our Superfan gift opt-in is now closed. We hope those of you who wanted to get the gift signed up. We're continuing our fun on Patreon, including more live streams with big holiday mm. prizes in the coming weeks. So make sure to sign up if you haven't yet. That's right. All links for Patreon and our merch store can be found in our show notes, or you can head to patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed if you want to sign up today. We should say and thank you to And let's, of course, Megan. give a shout out to our Miggy Megs, uh, always on the helm and the producer. One, two, three. Thanks, Thanks Megan. Megan. We love Happy a Megan. We love Halloween a Megan. to all of you guys and uh, get ready to vote this coming week. And happy That's November. Right. We're square into the end Can of the year. Can you believe? And it's, all it's about November. holidays. Oh my God. I can't believe it. It's 64 right. degrees outside. I know. I was just going to say, my windows are open. I'm ready to go play tennis. All right. We'll see you guys exactly. next time. Love yous. Bye. Bye. Bye.